In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. text that was read for you is in Luke chapter 4, verse 33 through 37. Now that text talks about the possession of an individual by an unclean or evil spirit. In the New Testament, in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are approximately 25 references to evil or unclean spirits with approximately 10 verses, which many of them are parallel verses, that refer to occasions when Jesus cast out the evil or unclean spirit from an individual. Now these accounts are very straightforward and provide little or no explanations of how the spirits came into the individual. Matter of fact, as we search the New Testament, we will discover that uh, there is no time at all where we can find that the, that the spirits actually entered these people. In the book of Acts, which is the book of the history of the church, there is a reference to Peter healing people who were vexed with unclean spirits in Acts chapter 5 at verse 16. When Philip went down to Samaria and the unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice, they came out of many that were possessed with them and that was because Philip the evangelist had been filled with the Holy Spirit and he was able to cast out those spirits. And that's Acts 8 7. And then it's recorded that while Paul was at Ephesus that that God wrought spiritual miracles by his hands, and that evil spirits went out from them in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11 and 12. So we have a combined series of five books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts, that tell us that the evil spirits or unclean spirits were in possession of individuals. It was a phenomenon that is the possession of evil spirits that was accepted without question in these times. This was a very narrow band of time when this occurred. The people of Jesus' day and during the development of the kingdom of Christ throughout the book of Acts and on toward the close of the first century, the people accepted the fact that there were evil, unclean spirits that were in possession of their fellow citizens. At the close of the first century, or before the close of the first century, this disappeared. There's no more mention made of it. Along with the fact that the powers of the Holy Spirit that were transferred from the apostles to different believers also ceased. So that the evil spirits, unclean spirits, were no longer in possession of individuals. There's no mention of it after this time. Therefore, there was no reason for the continued presence 
of the power of the Holy Spirit either to heal individuals or to cast out the spirits. There are various descriptions in the New Testament of the effects of the evil spirits ranging from physical disabilities to agonizing and erratic behavior in the person. But in none of these texts in the New Testament talking about evil spirits does it indicate that the person who was possessed by an evil spirit was guilty of anything. In other words, they were not caused to sin. They were simply possessed by the evil spirit. For instance, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those that were possessed with devils and those that were lunatic and those that had palsy and he healed them. Now, in our opening text, in Luke chapter 4, it talks about the evil spirit that was cast out. And when Jesus came into the presence of this evil spirit, or unclean spirit, the spirit cried out and says, I know you, or you come, or you come to, to send me away. So the spirit said, I know you, and he also knew that Jesus was come to take care of him. To make him leave the individual he was in possession of. But it does not say anything about the man being guilty of anything. Just that he was possessed. Sometimes the possession caused a physical disability that was not quite as dramatic. In, in Matthew chapter 9 at verse 32 and 33, the text tells us about Jesus and his apostles. That they went out, behold they brought to him a dumb man... Possessed with the devil. Now the word dumb does not mean ignorant or stupid. The word dumb means silent. He was silent. He couldn't talk. Now when a person couldn't, can't talk, it's probably indicative of the fact that they can't hear. A person that is deaf is, is, has a difficulty in being able to, to uh, form words. So here was an individual possessed with the devil... And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spoke. In other words, the man who was silent spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen, so seen in Israel. Keep in mind that they were not surprised that this devil or unclean spirit had taken possession of this man. They were surprised that the unclean spirit obeyed the voice of Jesus. Sometimes, in other occasions, it simply tells us the text simply tells us that the unclean spirit or the, or the demon or devil actually troubled or vexed the individual. In Matthew chapter 15 at verse 22, it says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast. This was the woman from Syrophoenicia. She was not an Israelite. She came to Jesus and she cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. This woman recognized what was going on with her daughter. In other words, as we read this text, it doesn't describe what has taken place necessarily, but it, it, it does tell us that the people recognized the presence of that unclean spirit, with the evil spirit. And she said, My daughter is vexed with the devil. 
And in Matthew chapter 17, there was a situation where the apostles were sent out to heal and to cast out demons. And they ran into a, a very naughty problem, one that was hard to solve. There was a young boy that was possessed by, by a demon, and they could not cast that demon out. And so in Matthew 17, verse 14 and 15, they came, then it said, then when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. He is lunatic and sore vexed. He was sore vexed. The young girl was grievously vexed, but he was sore vexed. And it describes what happened. For oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water. Now he's, they're just describing, he's describing what's happening to his son. In Luke chapter 9, this same parallel incident says, verse 38 and 39, Behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech you, look upon my son. He is my only child. And lo, a spirit takes him. And he suddenly cries out, and it tears him so that he foams again, and bruising him hardly departs from him. So here was what was going on with the man's son. He was grievously vexed, and this is what the Spirit was doing to him. Now keep in mind, the spirit, these spirits are not causing these people to do anything sinful. They're just creating a whole lot of problems for the people that were possessed with them. And the people, basically, of that age in that particular time, had no doubt. They had no doubt that they were, in fact, being plagued by evil spirits. This was an accepted conclusion. Nobody denied it. Nobody questioned it. They understood it. They recognized it. Instead of contradicting the fiat of Jesus' power, what they did was... They chose to attribute his power to Beelzebub. They said, okay, we recognize that there are unclean spirits, evil spirits, possessing people. But when you get rid of them, it's because Beelzebub, the devil, is giving you the power to cast them out. So they weren't, they weren't denying that they were there. Now this is very important. They weren't coming along and saying, aha, this is a scandal. This is a scam. This really isn't happening. They knew it was happening. And they weren't ignorant people. We sometimes look upon this age and say, oh, these, these folks were just ignorant, superstitious clods. They didn't know what was going on. That's not true. These people were highly intelligent, and they were intelli as intelligent as we are. And they were seeing this phenomena taking place, and they weren't questioning that it was going on. What they were questioning is, that Jesus had the power to cast these evil spirits out. That's what they requested. They said he's doing it by Beelzebub, the prince, of the, the prince of the devils. Luke chapter 11, verse 14 and 15 says, He was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. That is another silent one. And it came to pass, and that's what, that was what was wrong with the individual. They, they couldn't speak. They were deaf and dumb. They were, they were unable to speak. It said, when the devil was gone out, he spoke, and the people wandered. But some of them says he cast out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devil. And you know what Jesus said? They weren't denying that he was casting them out. What Jesus said was, if I, with the finger of God, cast them out, 
How then do your sons cast them out? The point being, their sons were not casting them out. They were not casting them out. Have you ever heard anybody swagger around and say, Hey, I'm so tough, I could tie one hand behind my back and still whip you. I've heard that all my life. You know what Jesus said? He said, I've cast these out with the finger of God, with his finger. That's all it took to cast these demons out. And he said, how do your boys get them out? Well, they weren't getting them out. They weren't casting them out. And while Jesus was here, he did, he did two things in terms of casting out demons. He selected one group of select men, 12 men, he called apostles, and he gave them the power to do the same thing he was doing. Now, that was, the, that was the situation we came to earlier in Matthew chapter 17, where the apostles were not able to cast out this demon. And it says, this. Jesus told them later on, he said, this, this type only goes out by prayer and fasting. That's why you couldn't do it. But Jesus did it. But here is the occasion when he took one of these sets of men, the twelve apostles, in Matthew 10 at verse 8, and he says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Now they knew what he was talking about. Cast out devils. What I'm, what I'm emphasizing, and I'm going to emphasize it as we move along through this lesson. These people recognized the presence of evil spirits in people. They recognized that they were. Now we're not talking about superstitious twaddle. We're talking about people who actually understood in a normal environment, in a, in a time of careful consideration, these people, this civilization, recognized that these demons were there possessing individuals. They recognized that. And Jesus took these apostles and said, go cast them out. Cast them out. And that's when they, they came and they found one fellow that couldn't do it. But he said, continue, keep doing this. And then he took another group as he was moving through the countryside and moving down through the territories from north to south. He took 70 men and he sent these 70 men two by two in front of him in pairs into whatever city he was going to go and for them to prepare the way for him to preach the kingdom. So in Luke chapter 10 at verse 1, the text says, After these things the Lord appointed 70 also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. And they were empowered, just like the twelve apostles, they were given the ability to cast out evil spirits. Because in Luke chapter 10 at verse 17, it says, The seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name. Now the extension of the power to cast out evil spirits was granted after Jesus rose from the dead. He died on the cross. Now that does not mean that when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, that the power of the evil spirits to possess people ceased. It did not. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to mention it again. There was a narrow band of time when God allowed evil spirits to occupy individuals. That has ceased. But it also ceased with the band of time when God empowered the apostles and his followers to cast them out. So, 
In Matthew or in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 18, Jesus had assembled with his apostles after 40 days, was ready to ascend back into heaven after his resurrection, 40 days after that. He was by the Mount Olivet. He was assembled with his apostles. And he said, Go ye therefore, go preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. And these signs will follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. So he's saying, I'm going back to heaven, but you go preach, and here's the signs that will follow you. So he gave them the power to continue, and those who believed their word, to continue to cast out devils. He said, they shall speak with new tongues. In other words, they could speak with languages they didn't understand. The word tongue is just not gibberish. The word tongue means language. So they can speak Greek. They can speak Phoenician. They can speak Latin. They can speak Hebrew. They can speak Assyriac. They can, they can speak all the languages they needed. Mesopotamian language. They can speak all those languages. Egyptian, Coptic, whatever it was. Because God was going to inspire those who followed so that they could speak these languages but mainly, he gave them power to overcome the power of the demons, too. So he said, they'll take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So he empowered them with the Holy Spirit. And that's called the gift of the Holy Spirit, by the way. He empowered them with the Holy Spirit to be able to perform wonders, signs, wonders, miracles in his name. And the purpose of that was to complete the establishment of the kingdom. Once the kingdom was established, once God's program was in effect, and once all the word was revealed, then the power of the Holy Spirit to perform miracles and cast out demons ceased. But at that same time, the possession of people by evil spirits ceased. That's when it ceased. The book of Acts chronicles the fulfillment of this promise. The ability to perform such fiats were embodied in the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 at verse 8, Jesus said to the apostles, He said, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the other parts of the earth. Now, in order for them to go to the other parts of the earth, they have to be able to speak the languages of the other parts of the earth, which he gave them the power to do through the presence of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, the text says, With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. So as they went out preaching, they went out fully equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit, not only to speak the words that God had given them, through the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15 and 16 says that, that, that the Holy Spirit would come and guide them into all truth. But also to be able to cast out evil spirits and to heal people of sickness, that was in order to verify the Word of God, the fact that they were speaking God's words, not some person's idea of what God wanted, but what God wanted them to say. And so in Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 3 and 4 it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, 
which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. That happened twice. The Holy Spirit fell upon individuals on the day of Pentecost, and the record is given to us in Acts chapter 2. So the Holy Spirit fell upon those according to the promise of God, and they were able to speak with other tongues. All the people had gathered together in the city of Jerusalem. It was a great festival, by the way. And so people had come from all corners of the earth, and the apostles got up and were speaking in the different languages. And, and everybody wonders, how can these people speak the language that we understand? And that's when Peter preached to them about the resurrection of Jesus. And then on one other occasion, in Acts chapter 10, when the nations, the total nations besides Jerusalem, was also brought into the kingdom of God, the household of Cornelius was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Only those two occasions occur in the New Testament. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they were able to do the same things that these people did in Acts chapter 2. So those two occasions took place. From then on, in order for the power of the Holy Spirit to be passed from one individual to the next, it had to be passed from someone who had the power of the Holy Spirit, like the apostles, laying on their hands on someone, and that's how the power was transferred. So think about this. When the last person died, the last apostle died, and the last person died upon whom the apostles laid their hands because nobody else could do that. That's when that ceased. Quit. Well, when that quit, obviously, the window shut, the time band ceased, that the devils, the, the evil spirits, could possess anybody because now there was no way to dispossess them once the power of the Holy Spirit ceased. And as you read records, of history back at that time, you know that it was shortly after the close of the first century that that all ceased. And that probably had something to do, and I'm sure it had something to do with the complete revelation of the New Testament, basically. These abilities called the gifts of the Holy Spirit were provided by the laying on the hands of the apostles. That was it. First of all, by baptism and then laying on the hands. The Holy Spirit does not baptize anybody anymore. Never has since that time. That was it, those two occasions. Hasn't happened. And nobody has contested that until in the 17th, 18th century. Then somebody came along and said, hey, maybe we ought to be baptized by the Holy Spirit too. That was not God's plan. That was not His purpose. That didn't happen. Okay. This was the narrow band of time. The book of Revelation. Now, I'm, I'm going to take you a little further aside here. Let's talk about how these things happened. How did it happen that the evil spirits came into individuals? In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, at verse 9, the text says, The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now that, in all likelihood is when the possession by evil spirits came about on this earth. That's when the devil was cast out of heaven. The book of Revelation was written 
and I know, I know it scares a lot of people to, to read it, but just remember that when John was given the information in the book of Revelation, he, he, he was told that he was going to, it was going to be signified to him. Signified. He was going to, he was, he was going to re, re, receive this message in symbols. So what John is seeing is what was going on that God and the angels could see, not what we could see, basically. But what God and the angels and Jesus could see. These were signified. These were symbols and signs. And so when you read all of that in the book of Revelation, just remember that it's not something that you could see a, a, a pale horse riding across the prairie coming from God or a red horse or a black horse. And you couldn't see someone with frogs, three frogs coming up on the earth. You wouldn't see all that. Or the dragon casting out water after the, after, after the, uh, the uh, woman in Revelation chapter 12. You wouldn't see all that. But that was the signified, that was the symbol that John was seeing representing something else taking place. But the Bible does say in Revelation 12, 9, that the devil came down to the earth. And in Revelation chapter 20, and verse 1 through 10 talks about the fact that the serpent was bound, was bound for a thousand years, and then he was loosed for a little season, and then afterwards he would be bound again and cast into the lake of fire. Now, the thousand year period, and what John saw was basically, in, back to Revelation 1, he saw things that were, must shortly come to pass. Now that shortly come to pass didn't mean that it's just almost ready to happen. Shortly came to pass means come to pass with speed. It happened quick. It's going to happen quick. So what he was going to see symbolized was going to happen quick. It wasn't going to take forever. It wasn't going to take thousands and thousands of years. You say, wait a minute. He said thousand years. A thousand years in Revelation chapter 20. Well, yes, he said that. But you know what Peter said in plain language? Peter said in 2 Peter 3 at verse 8, Beloved, don't be ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So when we begin to try to calculate time, he's saying, well, what does this thousand year mean? And Peter said, don't, don't be ignorant of this. A thousand years is, is one day with God, and one day is a thousand years. So you can't really calculate time. And people try to do that. And they've tried to do that for a long time. And there are major religious bodies that have come along in our time even that have said, hey, we've calculated the time that we've read back in Daniel and that we've read in the book of Revelation. And guess what? Jesus is coming tomorrow. We've got it down. We've got it figured out. They've calculated the time. That's not what the book of Revelation was about, to calculate time. He was saying things are going to come shortly come to pass. So he uses the term thousand years and he uses it in, in, in a, in a non-descriptive way. So the main thing we have to remember is that John said he was going to see things that would take place quickly. Wasn't going to take forever. Now let me tell you this. That Jesus did his work in three and a half years. Now that's not long, is it? I've been on this earth three times that long almost. Jesus did. I mean three times as long as Jesus was on this earth. But the point is that, that Jesus was here doing his work for three and a half years. Forty-two months, 
1260 days and so forth. But that was a short period of time. Relatively short period of time. And the New Testament was revealed within the span of about 40 years. I've been, Bonnie and I have been up in this part of the country 40 years. That, does, that seems like yesterday, hardly. That shortly came to pass. God revealed all that he had for eternity for us in a span of less than 40 years. So, when we're talking about these time spans, we just remember that the only significant point of demarcation of time is John saying, shortly come to pass. Psalm 90 verse 4 also says that a thousand years in your sight talking to God are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. The time period that John was talking about, about the devil coming down and the devil being loosed and the devil being bound was not futuristic. It was immediate. Jesus was told, or John was told, that he was viewing things that would occur with speed. Certainly that was a short time period. The unclean uh, or evil spirits do not now haunt mankind. There's no such thing as what we saw in the movies called the exorcist. People casting out unclean spirits. That day passed without controversy. There's no controversy about the fact that they were there. And the only controversy about the fact that Jesus cast them out came about by people saying he was doing it by the spirit of Beelzebub, power of Beelzebub. The method Jesus and the apostles employed was straightforward. It was not sensational. It was not spectacular. It just happened. And it happened very calmly and very forward and uncomplicated. There were no rituals. There were no seances. There were no mumbled mantras. There was no magic spell cast on anybody. There was no circle of power lighted by fires or candles. There was no totem. They didn't hold up a sign of the cross or a figurine of the cross and, and get the devils to depart. Jesus said, just said, get out. That's what he said. Get out. The devil said, did you come here to torment us before the time? Jesus said, get out. And they got out. Leave, and they left. They said, we know you. Can you imagine them saying, I know Jesus. They knew him. Interesting, isn't it? The unclean spirits, the evil spirits, provide a backdrop against which we can evaluate the power of Jesus Christ and how the power of these spirits was curtailed. They gave way to the presence of God in Jesus Christ. They could not stand up to that power. There's not much said in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, there's nothing said in the New Testament to describe how they got there. Nothing to describe what they looked like. But there are several things in the New Testament that several conclusions we can draw about these, these spirits. They were recognized by the general population, individuals who were affected by them. And by the way, the general population could say, we know that there's an evil spirit in this guy. Let's get him to Jesus. And they did. And Jesus took care of it. Very, very straightforward, very competent, very confident 
without any hoopla. They just brought him up, and Jesus said, get out. That's the way it went. They brought these people to Jesus for healing. They knew that the devils were present. And they brought them for that purpose. In Luke chapter 8, verse 2, it says, There were certain women which had been healed of evil spirits. And guess who was among them? A woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. You know, you think you know Mary Magdalene, don't you? You know who she is. She was the one first to the tomb of Jesus at his resurrection. But what do you read of her anywhere else in the New Testament? This text. This says, Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven spirits. That's all you know about Mary Magdalene until you get to the resurrection. She was there at the cross of Jesus when he died, and she was there when he resurrected. And she came running to the apostles and saying, He has risen. She had seven spirits. Now, another thing we know about the evil spirits is that they could not infect somebody else. Think about it. They could not pass from one individual to the next. And the, the people, as I said before, they weren't sinners. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were possessed. They were the, the, the evil spirit took a hold of them and did things to them and made them suffer, basically. They did not move from one person to another. They were not like leprosy. The daughter of the woman and the son that we mentioned earlier in Matthew 15 and Luke 9 and Matthew 17. These two, here a father brought his son. He said he foams, he cast himself in the fire, he cast himself in the water. But he didn't say, I don't, I'm, I'm afraid to touch him, I'm afraid I'm going to get it. He didn't say that. And the woman didn't say, I left my daughter at home because I, I was afraid I'd be infected by her. She didn't say that. She said, my daughter is grievously vexed, sorely vexed by the Spirit. Please help her. So they didn't move from one individual to another. If they did, I want you to look at something. We do know that there were some spirit, there was spirits in a man, or some records say it was two men, in the, in the area called Gadara in the New Testament, that these spirits did get out and get, go somewhere else. I'm going to read that text in Matthew or in Mark chapter 5, verse 2 through 9. When he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So that's very straightforward. Here is a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. He lived in the cave. No man could bind him. No, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Look at this. He recognized Jesus. He said, I know Jesus. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, you son of the Most High God? Oh, wow, he knew who Jesus was. I adjure you by God that you torment me not. Now that reminds us of 
Revelation chapter 20 and the torments and so forth. But anyway, he said unto him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What Jesus said was, Get out. And he asked him, Jesus asked the man, he said, What's your name? He answered and saying, My name is Legion, for we're many. And he besought him that he would not send him away out of the country. Don't send me away. The unclean spirit knew where he was going, and it wasn't a good place. But notice he said, My name is Legion. Do you know how many people were in a Roman legion? Between 4,200 and 5,200. Between 4,200 men and 5,200 men. This man said, My name is Legion. That's how many are in me. My goodness. Now, if you were to talk to a police officer, he would probably tell you if you were talking to him about criminals, that criminals are not among the smartest individuals on this earth. They're kind of dumb. They're dumb to get involved in crime anyway. But here's what the devil says. He said, don't send us here. Send us into these swine. There was a herd of swine around. Can you imagine? Send us into these swine. Off they went into the swine. The swine couldn't stand them. Drove the swine crazy. They ran down into the water and drowned. Now that wasn't a swift move, was it? <laughs> Send us to the swine. Didn't work out well. Didn't work out for them at all. So we know they couldn't be passed from one person to another. Jesus passed them off and sent them to some pigs. We know also that the demons were content to wreak havoc upon the unsuspecting and innocent recipient of their presence. They were content to stay right where they were and not go anywhere else. They said, when Jesus came up with the text we read in Luke 4, leave us alone. We're, we're happy where we're at. Leave us alone. They were content right where they were. These men, these, these demons, 4,200 or 5,200 or 6,000 of them, in this man, they were content. Don't bother us. We're happy where we are. We're, we're okay. That's what they all said. Don't, don't, leave us alone. Who are you? Don't send us out. Don't torment us. Leave us here. We're content where we are. Mark 1.24 said, Leave us alone. What have we to do with you, you Jesus of Nazareth? Are you come to destroy us? Mark 5 verse 7 says, They cried to the loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God that you torment me not. Leave me alone. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm content. They knew God. Number one, they couldn't go from one person to the next. Number two, they were happy where they were. Leave us alone. Number three, they knew God. They knew Him. You say, what do you mean they knew Him? Well, they knew about Him. When we talk about knowing Jesus, remember, we're not saying that you just know about Him. We're saying that you know Him. You're familiar with Him. And you have fallen in love with Him. That's what we know. When we say we know God. So when we, when we say know Jesus, they knew Him. James chapter 2 at verse 19 says that the devils also believe and tremble. 
They knew God. But you know they didn't do anything about it. They knew God and they knew their final destination. But it didn't make any difference. Whoa. It didn't make any difference. What do we know about these guys? Number one, they couldn't go from one to the other. Number two, they were happy where they were. Number three, they knew God. And number four, they knew where they were going. They knew where they were headed. Okay. Now against that backdrop, why did these demons come up? Why did God even let this happen? I think for us to be able to understand what happens with evil. Now, devil possession, unclean spirit possession, has ended. And there's no evidence in the annals of history anywhere else that it continued past the first century. But evil didn't stop there. Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, evil men will wax worse and worse, deceived and being deceived. Now, there are some similarities between evil spirits and evil people. Now, that's, what we're, that's why we came down to this point right now. Number one, evil spirits were happy where they were. Did you know that evil people are, insist on being left alone? They're happy where they are. Evil wants to stay where it is. Don't bother me. Don't disturb me. Leave me alone. Don't tell me about morals. Don't tell me about ethics. Don't tell me about good things. Leave me alone. Don't criticize me. Don't judge me. Leave me alone. That's what evil says. That's what the evil spirit said. Leave us alone. We're happy where we are. We don't want any interference. We are enjoying ourselves. We're happy doing what we're doing. Don't tell me anything about God. Don't tell me anything about heaven. Don't tell me anything about what I'm doing. Leave me alone. Now you're going to hear that from evil people. Don't, don't disturb me. Hang out a do not disturb sign on my nose. Put it on my face. Don't disturb me. That's what the devil said. Don't bother. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. Secondly, evil people know about God, but they don't have any respect for Him. They knew Jesus. You know, today evil people know about Jesus. Sure they do. They don't expect Jesus as the Son of God. They don't respect Him. Don't talk to me about God. Don't say anything to me about God. If I'm involved in an orgy somewhere, don't bring up the name of Jesus. That's going to spoil my fun. If I'm involved in pornography, don't whisper in my ear some passage from the New Testament. <laughs> Leave me. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about Jesus. If I'm in the Mardi Gras and I'm drunk up to the gills and I'm running around doing everything I can, displaying all sorts of pornographic activities, or if I'm in some spring festival with kids going off to spring break and involved in all sorts of wild, ungodly activities, don't bring 
Don't, don't say anything about God to me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm reveling. That's what the devil said. Leave us alone. Don't say anything. Don't, don't talk to me. John chapter 3 verse 20 says, Everyone that does evil hates the light. Neither comes the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Well, that, that happens, doesn't it? Don't talk to me about God. But they knew God. People know God. They know about God. And they, they use His name a lot. Evil people will damn people all day long using the name of God to do it. They'll damn everybody to hell that they can using God's name. They know Him. They'll use the name of Jesus. They'll curse people in the name of Jesus. They'll curse people in the name of God. They know God. It's not like they don't know Him. The devils knew Him. And the devil said, what, what, do I, what do I have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? You come here to torment me? You're going to make my life miserable? So when people are involved in things they shouldn't be, evil people doing evil things, they do not want to hear anything about God and they don't want Him around. That's exactly what was going on then and that's what goes, what goes on now. You've heard the expression. It's a popular expression anymore. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's a bunch of hooey. It's not going to stay there. If, if what happens in Vegas is bad, don't go there. Well, the, the point is, we know what's going to happen. And these evil people recognize, and they'll talk about it all the time, they recognize there's a day of reckoning coming. The devil knew that. They said, are you come here to torment us before the time? How many times have you heard people talk about the fact that I'll see you in hell? They recognize there's a hell. They recognize there's a day of reckoning. And yet, just like the evil spirits, who cares? Who cares? Well, Evil people cannot abide the presence of Jesus. So, how do we overcome evil? How did how was evil how were the evil spirits overcome? Well, when they were gathered around, guess who stepped into the crowd? Jesus stepped into the crowd and all of a sudden things changed. Jesus said, Get out. The name of Jesus, mentioning the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul ran across some fellows in Ephesus that were doing the same thing. They were trying to cast out evil spirits. And the evil spirits said, we know the name of Jesus. <laughs> we know his name. Evil people cannot abide the presence of Jesus. So evil is incompatible with the name of Jesus. The bank robber does not carry a copy of the New Testament in his pocket when he's holding up the terror, the tellers. And the mugger doesn't come up to you in the middle of the night and say, quote me a passage from Matthew. They, they have no, they have no, nothing to do with Jesus. They're not, they're not going to, they're not going to bring him into the conversation. And so who does? 
Who brings Jesus into the conversation to combat evil? Paul said that uh, we are to confess the name of Jesus in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10. By that confession, our faith is made perfect. We confess him in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32. Jesus himself said, He that confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. We know, just like the people then knew, evil spirits were among them and they knew it. Today, evil people are among us and we know it. So what do we do? We confess the name of Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to stop evil, is bringing Jesus into the picture. And maybe, just maybe, you're the only one that can do that. Confess his name. That's why it's so important that we start out our life with him by confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. People don't want to hear it. Demons didn't want to hear it. They don't want, don't bring Jesus into this conversation. Why? We're happy with what we're doing. We don't want to hear about it. Confess his name. Well, you say people don't want to hear it. That's obvious. They don't want to hear it. Confess it anyway. Because only by the confession of the name of Jesus and bringing him on the picture are we going to be able to stamp out and clear out evil from this world. My friend and neighbor, make it your determination to say, I'm going to bring the name of Jesus into every conversation I can because I want evil to leave the premises. God help you do that.